So it's recognizing that your brain has a lot more apparent potential maybe than we allow it. So I started to deep think and remember rather than imagine. So I remembered cycling really long distances, rowing a skiff at sea, all of those things. And first, it, it really helped me to remind myself your body can do a lot. And there was a point that you were really fit and you can get back there and there is this muscle memory. And when I started to do things again, it felt very natural. Hi everyone, this is Sarah, the Long Haul Yogi, and you're listening to the Long COVID Hope Podcast, the podcast that tells the more hopeful stories of people with Long COVID. The Long COVID Hope Podcast was created by a former Long COVID sufferer, myself, for people with Long COVID, allies of people with Long COVID, and anyone else who's interested in learning about Long COVID from the true experts, the people with lived experience of the condition. Today, we're talking with Rowena, a community organiser, about her first wave long COVID story. She had a horrendous time with swallowing disorders, inability to eat, losing a great deal of weight and chronic fatigue. Rowena and I discuss her experience with her inability to eat and retain food, having a feeding tube and time spent going back and forth to hospital. She shares how her taking amitriptyline off-label significantly helped her fatigue and also how her deep thinking visualization exercises helped her get back to cycling. Indeed, cycling with her electric bike 20 miles a day um, back and forth to work. So without further ado, let's get started. Hi Rowena, thank you very much for joining us today on the Long Covid Hope podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing all right and it's a real pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invite. There's um, a lot of stored up and sometimes redundant information kicking around in my mind so it'll be nice to have a chat with you today. Excellent, you're very welcome. Um, so let's start, could you just quickly introduce yourself, where you are and what you do? My name is Rowena Russell. I'm from the south of Ireland, a tiny little town called Arklo. Um, but I've lived in the northeast for almost 20 years. And um, my work has generally been around kind of public health. I started off in the HIV sector in Dublin. Um, and then because of the nature of HIV transmission, ended up doing an awful lot of work with drug users um, and moved to England in December 20, uh, 2004 and uh, continued working with, with drug users here in the Northeast. And at the minute, um, I'm working in a, in a women's health project in South Tyneside, which is really interesting. Great, yeah, it does sound really interesting. Um, so we're here to talk about your COVID and long COVID experience. Um, so maybe let's just rewind to the start of the pandemic then. What were you doing at that time? What did life look like for you? Um, I was running a community centre in Biker and at that point I was in my early 40s and I, I aside from having you know issues with like getting, getting no end of colds my immune system has always been bad um, I was really fit so I was cycling about 100 miles a week every week uh, you know, involved in quite a lot of things, activism, seeing a lot of friends, going to a lot of festivals, you know, generally very, very busy. But what I loved most was um, I, I had taken part in sports when I was younger, you know, I was rowing, badminton, that kind of thing. But as, a, as an adult, I really felt for the first time like I totally understood my body. I would wake up in the morning and my body would tell me very clearly what I wanted to eat, <laughs> which was daily. <laughs> So I had real structure and um, I, I knew that, for example, if I wanted to cycle from Ullapool to Inverness, I could do that and it was no problem. Um, yeah, I enjoyed going to the Isle of Lewis, cycling along there and just really pushing my body and knowing, you know, I had real faith in, in my body and what I could do at that point. And that was great. It was like, it was really brilliant. And I, I was, yeah, I was, delighted that you know all those things I was hearing about you know you get old you know you can't develop muscle you can't you know you must fit I was probably fitter than I was in my 20s so it felt great 
Yeah, yeah. You know, this is something I hear again and again. I don't know if it was particular to the first wave or just, you know, long COVID sufferers in general, but the, the amount of us who were really physically active, leading a very full life <laughs> before all of this hit is, is remarkable, actually. There were so many, you know, former marathon runners and athletes and like people who were doing a lot like yourself with the, with the cycling. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes it hard because when the GP is there saying, Oh, your resting heart rate is 67. That's really good. It's like, no, 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 no. It's usually 45. What are you talking about? Like 67 is not, you know. And then they'd say to me, like, oh, your blood pressure is normal. I'm like, that means it's high. My blood pressure is super low. And they're like, looking at you like you're some kind of idiot. You know, it's like, <laughs> your readings are all wrong. And I'm telling you, you know. And then you tell them, look, I used to cycle a lot. And you're okay. But it takes ages to get, you know, for them to recognize what you're calling normal is not normal for us so there is this yeah. big cohort of sick people who are not used to being sick and not used to being sedentary uh and this idea yes. is like prison so yeah. yeah yes most definitely and i think also like go like going to the doctor and having these first conversations it was it felt like a bit of a slap in the face at least to me um like being told oh it's probably deconditioning or something and i'm yeah. like no 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 <gasps> i don't think that you know what deconditioning is that's a weekend on popcorn it's not this <laughs> yeah yeah okay so um you so you caught COVID in April 2020 but like obviously that was into the lockdown do you want to tell me a bit about what was happening at the start of COVID here in the UK and what what happened yeah so COVID has really affected my brain and you know for the last few days I've been like what am I going to say in this podcast this feels like a long time ago and then this morning I found this document that I started writing um in March 2020 to document everything going on um part of my degree was sociology so i was like this is like a, a once in a hundred years so i need to try to document this um and yeah. of course i've been possibly far too keenly following events in the usa and trump um i had this feeling mm. that everything that's happening in the states is we're just you know we're um you know, a few few years behind here so uh, one of the things that I said, and uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, on March 26th, I wrote in front of the mirror politics, Trump and Johnson need a crisis to demonstrate how their macho leadership works. War is the most common crisis they benefit from. War is easier because they've learned from previous wars, practice the speeches in front of the mirror. It's most often far away and the casualties are most often from somewhere else or die somewhere else. Domestic losses are often most often soldiers and soldiers are recruited from poor areas and they die for a great cause. A global pandemic is not what men like Johnson and Trump want at all. The crisis in, is in every single home and even for a short while, the rich die and they never respect the learning from past pandemics. So they have no idea how to respond you can be sure that politicians never stand in front of a mirror practicing what they would say to a nation in the event of a pandemic. No. <laughs> wow. That's very profound. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So indeed. from January, I was freaking out because my I remember HIV and AIDS mm. very well. Yeah. Yeah. And in January, I was saying, like, why aren't they doing something? And by February, I was thinking, why aren't we wearing masks? Seriously, why aren't we wearing masks? And for some reason, and I, I, I cannot work this out. As somebody who's worked in public health for such a long time, I didn't take that mandate onto myself to do that. Mm. And had I, I probably wouldn't be sitting here today. So mind you, I doubt I could have ever escaped COVID given, you know, how prevalent it is. But I wish I had listened to my gut instinct. Um, mm, mm. And, I, and I suppose knowing what I knew about Johnson's style of leadership, I should have known he was, he was never going to introduce something like a mask mandate in time, especially given he'd missed the cover meeting. So it's one of the things that really sticks out to me. And I've learned a lot. Being sick has taught me an awful lot and it's reminded me and a good friend once said to me, you only really mess up going when you ignore your good instinct. And this yes. is which, exactly. Yes, yes. 
A hundred percent. Yeah, I was also kind of stressing out and my my own gut instinct was saying, don't go out, don't, like this is this is weird. But obviously I didn't listen either. <laughs> but I, I didn't have a, a background in public health myself. I didn't really know about masking, I guess. I caught COVID right at the start of March. I got ill at the 13th of March. So it was like two, three weeks before the lockdown. Obviously lockdown here was late. It should yeah. have been it should have been way earlier. Um and yeah. So when when did you first um develop some symptoms then? When did you first catch it? It was um early early April. Um Steffi, my partner, we had and I we not long got together and we were being really careful. Like we were not going out, we were going by all the rules, we were being super careful. Um and what was going through my head was there's not gonna be enough to go around and through this quarantine document there's some bad poetry but I think it really helps and this mm. one what about but I'm a I need a see uh, I have a badge since 1986 I've been a I need a they don't care perhaps we don't care the badge won't save you in an apocalypse and it's particularly difficult for dyslexics in an apocalypse <laughs> <laughs> March 30th I'm realizing Everybody out there is expecting someone else to save them because we think somehow that the state can step in and fix all of these things, which they can, but only a well-organized one can. So by early April, I had started experiencing symptoms. And I have a step-by-step -step of, of what happened because I needed to document it. So, um, yeah. I started to feel unwell on April 9th. Um, I just felt like really tired. And for me to feel really tired, I was like, something's wrong. Um, so after a week of feeling really, really unwell, and I was just sort of in bed, sweating a lot, not really knowing what was going on. Um, I was kind of out of it. I called the GP on April 16th because I just couldn't breathe. You know, when you've got that like stack of bricks on your chest. I had that for yeah. all this time and I was I was so exhausted and you know when you just start to panic you're like I can't, mm -hmm. I can't do this so there was no answer at the GP surgery couldn't get through so I had to phone 111 and they did an assessment and because the chest pain they sent an emergency ambulance out right your man arrives at the door no PPE yeah. I was asked by 111 do I think it's COVID I'm like I don't know I, I didn't realize I, do I have a temperature I don't know I don't know so he arrives in me so no temperature it's not COVID the paramedic called my GP to update him and he got through. So the GP called me then and said, sounds like you have COVID. First thing goes through my head is that paramedic's just been in my house. So the GP tells me rest and call 999 if it gets worse and prescribe me antibiotics for the chest symptoms. Asked if I had someone home, I suggested. So I didn't make contact again until June when the symptoms were not manageable. I'd had a good spell in May and part of June. I was out and about, I was able to do things. I got on my bike, I cycled out to the coast. And you know those smiley faces mm. that tell you that your your um your speed is good. I got an angry face because I was breaking the speed limit on my bicycle. Wow. So you definitely had that break then where obviously the antibiotics worked and you felt like you were better or get or like or nearly better. Yeah. You had that break before the long COVID hit. Yeah. Okay, yeah. carry on. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I called at the end of June. I can't I can't remember that conversation. That's what I've got written down here. So July the first, my birthday. So I called, I couldn't move, I was dragging myself around. So the GP suggested I go to a hot hub because they can do tests and check me out. So I get to this hot hub, right? Really major efforts get from the car to the door. I was met by a nurse, all masked up, but no tests available there. And I, anyway, I'm like, well, I haven't got COVID anymore. This is the point where you're going, I'm still sick. Then don't come near us. You have to phone 111 and you're just being bounced around all over the place. Um, mm -hmm. I got checked up by, by this doctor who was especially patronizing. Um, and he told me everything was normal and I should go home and take mm -hmm. her seat. I said, does the person in front of you look normal? Uh, we discussed antibiotics for the symptoms. He was like, he, and I've got here a sneer dad. And I was sent home in distress and unable to breathe. I was 
so tired and so exhausted and my partner was just awake most of the night checking to make sure I was still breathing because my breathing had just dropped. So the next day I called the GP because um, yeah, I was a state and the GP um, was not aware that details had to be. Oh yeah, I, I, yeah, they 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 sent me off somewhere to get a test. And the, what I called the, the test center or wherever it was, they were looking for credit card details before they issued tests. And I was like, look, this is absolutely crazy. Went to, back to the GP, refused to help. Called back a few days later, unable to breathe. I was told to call 111 because the GP couldn't or wouldn't take the call. Called 111, transferred to a nurse to do an assessment, transferred again, suggested an ambulance came out. I was like, no, the ambulance would just say everything's fine, told. Um, that I should go back to the GP to get a prescription, uh, call them back. This was 17 calls in total and all I wanted was the inhaler. The GP yeah. told me that the inhaler was possibly dangerous. Wow. That was yeah. just one day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this went on and on and anyway, um, some of those symptoms improved, other things started to change and then a big change happened when I vomited for 25 hours solid. Oh my goodness. I was sweating, vomiting. Uh, it took eight hours for the ambulance to come. And by the time the ambulance came, my heart rate was all over the place. I was taken to hospital, put in a bed, not given a drip, and just left. Well, I couldn't eat for the entire week. And I was in the hospital bed, just fading away. And eventually I said, I need to go home. What are you doing? This is just me to try and eat and drink more. And I just broke down. I said, I physically can't get the food in. So at this time, I noticed that at night, at first, I would drink water before I went to sleep. And what would happen is I would start to choke on the water. This got worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, and there was all these other symptoms going along with it. So my hands were out of shape because the inflammation was so bad. I was in horrific pain like horrific pain all day and then I just stopped being able to eat most things anything with histamines would just like I would just choke on it really distressing really distressing for my partner tap mm -hmm. water could not touch tap water it, I would just right. choke and it would come up it took all together like over a year to get a diagnosis of achalasia which is super rare 26,000 people in the country have it it's the sphincter muscle at the opening of the stomach basically broke and I think maybe being sick for 25 hours might have broke my sphincter muscle um, right. and then on top of that I had a diagnosis of achalasia which is any kind of difficulty that you have when you're swallowing luckily mm -hmm. um, and ironically at the time I was doing some work with a group called Altered Eating which is a research network about um, anybody who has difficulties eat, eating for whatever reason so I knew quite a bit about these things they were still concerned that there was something else going on, so they needed to do further tests. By the time the tests were done and the results were back, now a test was done on the 6th of January, um, 2021, and, no, sorry, 6th of January, 2022. They, and what, what were the tests that they did? They, they basically, actually Christmas 2020, I, Sorry, Chris, Christmas 2021, I had to go into hospital because I had lost so much weight and I couldn't eat. And it was it was distressing. I mean, I had faded away. So they put in an NJ tube to feed me. Um, right. And this is I had said to them in the when they diagnosed me, I said, look, I'm going to be in big trouble if I'm not able to eat, because if I, I'm an expensive system, I burn calories really quickly. And if I go below nine stone, then weight just comes off me and it's like not manageable that's exactly what happened and so I, I was released from hospital on christmas eve last year um and then on this nj tube and i went from a manometry test so they put other things down the other nostril where they i basically had a machine and they said press this button when you start to eat press this button when you stop eating and when you have a reaction press the button and that was for 24 hours i had that in during the time I had it in, I, I didn't have a major reaction to anything because I was being super careful because it's so distressing. But the morning before they were going, the morning they were taking the thing out, I decided to take some sourdough bread and I ate the sourdough bread 
press the button, the reaction is like my throat is literally doing that, and you're like choking, and then it just comes straight back up. When the results came back, which didn't come back until didn't get them, I think until May, and these were supposed to be rushed through because when they were doing the tests, the two doctors doing the tests, one of them she said to me. We can stop this test if you want. And I was like, well, why are you stopping the test? It's taking so long to get the test. And she goes, we can see that the reactions, because they were making me eat and drink things. And they said, we can see that the reactions are so severe that we think we should stop the test. And I was like, but this isn't bad. <laughs> but when they were reading through, I was like, no, that's not bad. This, this is okay. This is So when the results finally came back, it was like gross malfunction of my esophagus um so they did a diet finally actually i had a dilatation treatment booked for june and the morning of the test i've been really sick the weekend before like vomiting even more than usual and then i was just hanging on and this tuesday morning they were going to do the dilatation to open my stomach did a covid test i had covid oh no oh man wait then for another month so it was july when they did and by that stage I was emaciated absolutely emaciated um, and once they did it then of course I had I had to go back into hospital because of acid reflux and acid problems so it was another week in hospital because the acid once they opened the stomach all the acid started to come up and it was agony absolute agony yeah oh my goodness and that, yeah. that's just the stomach end of things. That's not the circulation. That's not my fingers going numb. That's yeah, not, yeah, yeah. You know, I was in hospital on the hottest day of the year. I was in Gateshead Hospital. My feet were frozen. I couldn't feel my feet on that day. The ward was so busy. I didn't get water until three o'clock. I was without food, without fluids, and the wards were that busy. So I actually discharged myself at the hospital the next day. Oh, it was that day I discharged myself. I couldn't. And it was the following week I was going back into hospital to have a test and I was being moved to a busy ward. And I thought if I stay on this ward, I'd only had the tube. Uh, it's another long story, but if I stay on this ward, I'll get COVID again. So I discharged myself. Mm. They took mm. my tube out. Um, and I was a mess by the time I got to hospital. But that mm. it was at that point when I was able to eat again, I got a little fold up electric bike that meant that I could cycle 12 minutes to the metro. I slowly built up um, a sense of wellness, but for sure, I used to be, I had a really good diet and it's taken a long time to get that back. There's a lot of weirdness around, you know, there's things I, I don't quite want to eat yet. I started to take HRT and that helped with the, um, with the histamine reaction, which has been quite good. Mm. And again, my GP was great around that. There was a podcast right. that my partner asked me to listen to and that. Uh, they talked a lot then about histamines and long COVID and very soon yes. after I started taking HRT, um, I was able to eat a wider range of things because my worry is like they'll open my stomach and I'll be like a kid with half a toy. I have an open stomach, but I, the range of things I'll be able to eat will be so small. It won't be worth it. So, yes, yeah. yes. Wow, what a story. Um, I mean, I've, I have spoken to a lot of people over the years, long haulers with difficulties eating with intolerances a broad spectrum of different things myself i had the swallowing problem where the i did the swallowing dysfunction and i, I did my in, investigations with vnt and slp2 and basically the i can't remember what it's called now <laughs> forgetting that but um what separates the esophagus from oh the epiglottis Yes, the epiglottis was was misfunctioning, and so I I was trying to eat, and it was like go down the wrong way, and I was coughing it up, and it was the whole thing. But obviously, um, what you're describing is, you know, horrendous, and my goodness, I'm so glad I'm so glad you're here to tell the tale. Quite honestly, that yeah, sounds pretty emergency, terrible situation. <laughs> Around. It wasn't great, but I tell you what's weird. It's like two things that I noticed once they they did the procedure was this all this time that I had in the day when I wasn't being sick, like so much of the day was taken up with being sick, and then if I needed to go out in the car, like I had to order these special little brown bags all the time to have with me, trying to get public transport, and 
you don't know if you're going to be sick or not. It was just like having that time. It's like, wow, really? Yeah, yeah. Amazing. And did they ever, um, do they ever get to the bottom of why you were vomiting that much? Was it from the disorder of the food pipe or no, question mark? Actually, no. I don't think they, they did a couple of tests, but they're like, your tests are all coming back normal. I was like, that's great. I'm fine. I hate, but, I hate this story about all tests being normal. The amount of people that have been told, oh, you tested normal, you're fine. Like, yeah. mm, no. It was one day I lifted my hands, arms up to give Steffi a hug and I started to go, I got a headache and I went numb the whole side down, right? And then the rest mm. of my body and I sat on the sofa. And normally what I'd be doing is like, before I think about an ambulance, I'd be like, wait, wait, wait. Even when I had chest pain, I would walk up at four in the morning with chest pain where I was like, and then I couldn't move my arm. I waited till nine o'clock to call an ambulance. But this time I was like, no, but then I couldn't speak. I was like, Steffi, call an ambulance. I went numb. The paramedics arrived, thought I was drunk. Got to the hospital and they looked at my eyes. They were like, no, everything's normal, you're fine. And I'm like, oh, I feel like I might have had either a stroke, a, a transient ischemic attack. I don't know, but yeah. they're just like, you're fine, go home. And it's like, fine. Wow. Just wow. Oh, my. Okay. So eventually you got diagnosed then with, um, what's it called again? Echolasia. Echolasia. And so did, did you, have you received treatment for that? Like, is yeah. it now manageable? The dilatation and what they'll need to do, because I was too unwell to have... Um, the surgery they'll need to cut the muscles at a later date so that it's more long term because they they just stretch the muscle the muscle will, will tighten again so they'll they'll need to like do something in the future i just wish that long COVID would give me um illnesses that are easier to pronounce and easier to spell as a dyslexic i'm really annoyed they're like it's achalasia i'm like ah for god's sake achalasia seriously so yeah, yeah. It's all very challenging. <laughs> okay um all right, so you also talked about histamine then and his, uh, like histamine response reactions. Um, when did that start? Do you think you would give us a part and parcel of this? Or Pretty early on because there was foods. I just went off. I can't even remember. Stephanie's searched my long-term memory with lots of this stuff. Um, mm. the, the histamines, yeah, that just kind of s s slowly started. Um, and then it got to a point where I was just living on falafel, basically. I had this kind of falafel mixture that I could manage. But yeah, the histamines were a massive issue. And another thing that was huge was just this pressure pain that I had, that all of my shoulders and my back up into my mm. jaws. I, I just, I was like that. Turns mm. out that like a meprazole sorted that out. <laughs> so my doctor just goes, I'll prescribe you some meprazole. And as soon as I started taking that, I was like, oh, that pressure pain's gone. So I see people on social media going, I've got this pain in my shoulders and it's like, I'm like, how, how are we still not knowing that this is like GI tract problems? And I'm like, well, get a meprazole, you know, it's, right. it's so annoying. There was months I was going around where just this phone kept, was coming up and I kept saying to my doctor, this phone keeps coming up. And I saw this new doctor and he went, I'll give you a meprazole for that. Was... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Months and months of discomfort because the doctors weren't like they just they weren't even thinking, I think, at the time. You mentioned long COVID and mm. everything they knew went out the window. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> In support of doctors and the healthcare profession, it was incredibly intense time for them too. <laughs> and I'm sure they were completely drowning and not knowing what what on earth to do or or to prescribe or whatever but yeah it's it was it was it's such a particular experience i think to first waivers i like i hope and pray that these days with people with new people getting long covid it's a whole different ball game and they have a whole different experience with the healthcare system but certainly what what we went through where we're begging for care and the care was not forthcoming let's just put it that way um it just it's very traumatic it is and it's like I, again my covid poetry thing i'd found this and it, it, i won't read all of it but it's like this is a no-blame narrative i don't blame the receptionist who can't answer the phone when i call 35 times in a day to get through i hope they understand why i'm exhausted and fraught by the time i get to talk with them 
I don't blame the receptionist when she says she can't give me an appointment and I have to call back at eight in the morning. I just hope they understand why it sounds like a massive task for me right now. I don't blame the GP for suggesting this might be connected to distress, mental health or anxiety. I just wish they would listen with some respect and not patronise me when that has crossed their minds. I don't blame the GP for not knowing what to do when the symptoms are so varied and unpredictable. I just wish they did not assume I was med medication seeking when I suggest a solution. Just this and this and this. <laughs> it was kind of, I spent time, you know, I'm a huge supporter of people who work frontline in health. I'm a huge supporter of the NHS. Finding myself in a situation where, and I know that a lot of the helplessness, I could see the inactivity further up the field. And it's like if the government are not making this easier and if the government have done stupid things like ignore a pandemic manual, that's going to hurt everybody down along the way. So yes. I did want to make sure that I remembered that, you know, the people who are responsible for the pandemic and the state of it are not the ones in frontline health. I could see the paralysis going on. It's like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's distressing. Oh, very distressing, very distressing. Um, OK, but obviously on the plus side, you, you, you did improve. <laughs> so when uh, when did you start to turn a corner and, and are there particular things that you think helped you mm -hmm. um, to improve? I think once I could start doing a little bit of cycling because my breathing mm. was a wreck. And um, I had some tests done, and they said your lung capacity is 124% of a woman your age. It's like, blimey. Wow. Okay. <laughs> once, once I got on a bicycle and started riding, my lungs just went, okay, and got back into their rhythm. Something that I did in the times when, um, when I was really glued to the bed and I couldn't move, I used to work with chaotic drug users and did I designed some relapse prevention tools for them. And that was about using your mind and your creativity to overcome things that are happening. And I thought, if I really believe what I was telling them, I should be able to apply it to myself. So I remembered um, reading about athletes um, and particularly people who do like what's the, word, the, the gymnasts. If they're learning a new move, what they do is they deep think about it and imagine that move several times. And what happens is the muscles in the body prepare themselves for that move. So the first time you do it, the body already knows this is what we need to do. So it's recognizing that your brain has a lot more power and potential maybe than we allow it. So I started to deep think and remember rather than imagine. So I remembered cycling really long distances rowing a skiff at sea, all of those things. And mm -hmm. when I started to do things again, first, it, it really helped me to remind myself, your body can do a lot. And there was a point that you were really fit and you can get back there and there is this muscle memory. Um, and when I started to do things again, it felt very natural. Um, and as soon as I could start to cycle, I built up from a 12 minute cycle. So I work in South Shields, which is 10 miles away. So um, our transport system in the, in the Tynemuir area isn't quite what it might be, say, for example, in London. Um, so the, um, the metro line that I get to work basically was one line and they needed to close it for 12 weeks to build a second oh, no. line. So from the 12th of September, I got a proper big electric bike and thought, I'm going to cycle to work 10 miles each way between September the 12th and December. So I did. Um, so in that time, I did like 1,220 kilometers on my bicycle in the rain, <laughs> um, mostly yeah, on a muddy cycle path. And I just cycled to work every day, smiling my head off. It felt so amazing to be back on the bike. It felt so amazing to be able to exercise again. And it, I was thinking food is something that is really important to me. I've always I've worked in kitchens, you know, a lot. I love being a cook. Um, and while I couldn't eat, I was cooking for women at work. I turned our, ca I turned our little weight area cafe space into a restaurant every Thursday night and cooked for 40 women. It was mint. That's when I had the feeding tube in. And it just felt great to be able to connect with food again. Um, mm. But when I was able to exercise again, I was like, I think I miss this even more than food. 
because I could connect with food without eating it. But with exercise, it was just so hard to just, you know, not feel my muscles. And I I was really careful. So I, I did a little bit of yoga every morning. Um, I'm too dyslexic to go to a class. I can't stand being told what to do for an hour and I'm following someone else's. So I just breathe, stretch and bend with some intention. Um, <laughs> yeah. I have some colored bars. So just hanging from those bars every day and gently mm. getting myself back into pull-ups. All those right. gentle things. And the amitriptyline I was taking for my vagus nerve. Um, yes, let's talk about the amitriptyline. Yeah. It's interesting what you said about this. So a woman with ME on Twitter told me, she said, um this is all connected to your vagus nerve i was like yes i've read about that and she said i'm a tryptamine is good for that so i went to my doctor and my doctor was being you know my doctor i have to say she's great and i just said look um i did change doctors because i had to move house in the middle of all this as well because i lived in a flat that was four stories up and i couldn't do the stairs anymore so i had to sell and move which wasn't great um so the new doctor i, I said to her look someone on the internet <laughs> told me i should take amitriptyline and she kind of looked at me and I said, it's supposed to be really good for the vagus nerve. And she's OK, that's very specific, but all right, let's give it a try. And I was like, grand. And then she said, this is going to make you feel really tired and it'll probably make you feel hungover. And I was like, mother of God, like I already feel really tired. Why would I take something? And I thought, just mm -hmm. try it. So I, I took it at a slightly lower dose and um, almost immediately my fatigue went yeah that was the point um, i was like i want to cycle all the way to work my my fatigue just went a light went on i was like boom 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 and i thought oh holy shit, this is great news i remember yeah. from the drug sector people with add or adhd if they take something like valium which is a depressant should bring you right down they're quite active. I had a very good friend from HIV and AIDS world called Eugene. He's the most attention deficit person I've ever seen on two legs. And for him to chill out, he used to drink 30 cups of coffee. So when he was admitted to hospital and refused coffee, he'd be really off his head. So things that will generally make one tired if you've got ADD will make you wired. Yeah, it's like a paradoxical effect. Thank God for that. Yeah. Yeah, it's helped me realize, yes, I probably really do have ADD, even if it's not diagnosed. And thank God. So um, that's incredible and really interesting. Um, I mean, obviously, with particularly with prescription medication, everyone's different. And I tried I, I actually tried amitriptyline myself for nerve pain. And I hated it because a it didn't seem to do a single thing for the nerve pain, which actually it was to do with B12 deficiency and I fixed it with B12 injections anyway. Um, but I was taking it for nerve pain and I, I had the opposite. I just felt it made me so groggy. Like I took it at night and it would knock me out for like 12 hours, which is nice in a way because up until that point, <laughs> I was having difficulty sleeping, right? But, um, but then all day after taking it, I was like, it was like a, like a, a fog, like a day is. So I absolutely hated it and I stopped it. So obviously everyone's different. But for you, wow, really interesting. Can I just um, ask, what was your fatigue like before taking the amitriptyline then? What what did that look like? That was so, it was like, I felt like I was trapped in my own body. So when I was a, when I was a little girl, um, my parents used to give me tasks to do, like carry a brick up and down the garden to try to, waste my energy i've always been into athlete like or, or like a competitive athlete most of my teenage years very sporty very energetic tend to do things very very quickly Brrr, is my life being broken with fatigue was so difficult i felt like i was just pasted to the bed uh, and i i remember when i was sick with covid in the acute stage i i had i was lying in a way that was really uncomfortable and my neck was all twisted it took 40 minutes for me to be able to turn over. Yeah, just, and then, especially when you're needing to be like really sick and you can't sit up and you can't move. It's just so hard. And I remember like just feeling like crying most of the time, just awful, like really horrific. Uh, and for me to feel like that is just, it's weird. But I, I did find a way to just 
be at peace with it somehow. I just, I think COVID, it, it kind of, there was a, a certain part of my drive that it just took away. That meant that I was just in it and it was, I had no choice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's her just chronic fatigue. Yeah, and it, it's hard to describe to other people who, who haven't experienced it. Not that I'm tired. No, no. <laughs> yeah, tired is not the word I'd use. <laughs> yeah, I can sleep if I'm tired, but sleep feels like hard work with fatigue. So, yeah 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 um, it's really difficult to keep the cool sometimes people go oh well you got coughed again your immune system must be amazing by now it's like yeah yeah um i mean something i did something that kind of registered with my um some friends i was being to was saying that i was explaining that when i was crashed out like we had a fatigue crash like a relapse like I, I literally, um, like I said in the acute phase, I, I literally was lying in bed. I couldn't open my eyes and I couldn't change position. It was like, it's like being paralyzed, yeah, isn't it? And it, it can be that bad. And, and that kind of like was eye opening to them. And they were like, oh, okay. This is not just being a bit tired, needing a nap. It's not Netflix and chill, you know, because <laughs> it's like you can't even watch Netflix. You know, and then if you do no, happen on the door, no. are you still alive? It's like when that yeah. the next episode, you're still watching TV. Yeah, it's like yeah. I got really good at listening. I got really good at listening to TV. Actually, yeah. I, I what I would do is like I, like I couldn't have my eyes open, um, but I would listen to things, and it's one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast, right? It's because I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, a lot of meditations, a lot of like listening to tv so i guess i would like imagine what was happening I guess yeah. i don't know it seems it's to work light sensitivity as well so my mm. my ability now to get already with dyslexia it's a problem but i get overstimulated like that now and being in hospital where they insist on these big oh, yeah and i was constantly saying please can you turn the light off please please turn and no matter how many times when i was admitted i'd say look light and noise i can't so i'd bring my sound cancelling headphones and just set yeah. the headphones just on so the noise was cancelled out. And what they suggested I do was sit there with an eye mask on. It's like, you want me to sit in a hospital ward all day with an eye mask on? Are you trying to break me? It's just like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, hospitals are really a, a kind of a torturous environment to people with ME-CFS, aren't they? Or anyone really needing to rest. It's not a very restful location. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Bright lights, busy. Just going to do the pressure. It's like, oh, it's like, yeah. I just want to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Blimey. Yeah. All right. Um, one thing about your fatigue, though, is that obviously you're talking about that you're cycled to work 10 miles a day, albeit with an electric bike. But obviously, um, despite the chronic fatigue you experienced, you were still able to, to do things like that. I think cycling, I was really scared that if I did 20 miles a day, I'd get punished. My body would punish me for it. Yeah. Exactly the opposite has happened. I'm like a dynamo. Once I start, then it's like, you know, my energy's on a good cycle. And right before, like, unfortunately, I picked up a cold when I went back to work. The last two days I was at work before the holidays and that like really knocked me and has knocked a lot of things. But I still have that underlying sense of it's not gone. Um, you know, I, I'll come back from this. I just need to be more careful. And people around me need to, like, not come near me with a cold. Which doesn't matter yes. how many times you go. Doesn't seem to Absolutely. help. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, I kind of, it, it, I, I do feel amazed. I feel, because I'm 47 now, and I feel amazed that my body's come back. And as, almost as soon, because my legs have gone, like, the jeans that I had been wearing, my legs were lost in them. And it, it was just like, oh, my God. But almost immediately, as soon as I started cycling, pop, my muscle memory just came back. And it was, yeah, yeah. So it just it, it feels I mean, there's still loads of issues, but I can engage in life. Good. Yeah, that's really good. So you feel like obviously you're working, you're cycling. Um, maybe you're not back to where you were but you're in a good place basically yeah, yeah. that's great I, I think you know in terms of people hearing 
kind of positive news stories it's important and, and one of the things that i would say to people is go to places that you know that you love and the whole time that i was sick i begged stephanie she was great we go to the isle of lewis and even if i couldn't enjoy going across the land all that much it was still it was still a really special place for me to go and i i found a poem i'd written about that if it's okay for me to share it with you to finish of course yes, yeah absolutely because um, people will ask oh you know what what helps what helps and it's it's for me what helped was doing things like cooking where you're in your flow you're just doing the thing that that brings you joy um and i managed to get back to the island again this october and i, I stepped onto this piece of land and the first it's my favorite place to go on the Isle of Lewis. And I just stepped on this land. And the first thing that came into my head was, now my heart is full, you know, and I just thought, oh, but I'd forgotten that I'd written this poem. And it, the, the, the before thing means two things in this. So when I was a little kid, I used to ask my parents all the time, what was the world like before? And they were like, what do you mean? It's like, you know, before, you know, what was the town like before? And they were like, well, there's no buildings here or whatever. And even though my dad was, you know, he was quite, had a, quite an interesting brain. They were just like, what is it with this child? But what they didn't get was when the first time I went to Connemara in Ireland and the first time I went to the Hebrides, the Outer Hebrides, it's like, this is what I meant before we ruined it. So the Outer Hebrides, basically most of it looks like just after the last ice age, not a lot's changed. You know, it's just this yeah. landscape where you can really see clearly where the glaciers have been. And, golden eagles coming down to get the road killers recycling wrong it's amazing so i had to go back to this island as a sick person and that was quite hard because i used to go and just cycle there and it's like doing 15 miles in the outer hebrides is like doing 60 <laughs> anywhere else it's like really hard but i'd written this poem on june 13th it must have been must be 2020 and it's called before the broken and it just describes my first time back on the land um, as a sick person. I will follow you like a child would, safe and curious when she was young, on a path connected to her true nature, that bond with her mother tongue. Generous, abundant and fluent, the weather has her unique dialect. Nothing is an accident, more gentle murmurs full of respect. I never expected to meet my child again until I stepped into these places of natural truth. All those places of before the broken, hardwired to the honesty of youth. My toes touch your warm sandy mat, inviting me to relax in the sea's tidy foam. My inquisitive, nurtured and awake child who sleeps through sleep in your home. Presenting fresh wild eyes with the impossible, the world before, the world before, the before the world man made, how we decided to make it and break it. This is the before the broken, before men decided concrete was more important than the earth, before the channels, the tunnels, the towers, the noise we created that interrupts birth. We will lie and breathe beneath your standing stones, skies with many glorious voices above my head, dancing, drumming, women wild and rebellious, soft heather and peat documenting everything said, cooling off in your seas, locks wise mountain, wise mountain brim, Together in solitary we rest, connecting with every element of this mother island before the broken, long after our best. Mm, that's lovely. Yeah. So Wonderful. I, I Yeah. Ah, well, thank you so much for sharing your story with, with us and um, sharing your poems as well. Um, just before we end then, is there anything in particular you'd like to say to listeners with long COVID? Anyway, I think parting wisdom <laughs> message. I'm seeing I'm seeing on Twitter people saying like I'm six months in, I'm a year in. Making lists and um mem remembering, you know, really clearly who you were and what you could do is like super important. And I think I have to acknowledge how lucky I am that I have Stephanie. Um and also, mm. you know, people like Trish Green that Trish Greenash has been an incredible support and friend over this time um, and the research that she did around GP responses and long COVID in the brain. It was a real pleasure to take part in that. Um, and through this experience, 
I've learned loads. I, you know, my my brain's a disaster, but I have learned a lot. I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about the people around me. Um, as a sociologist, the last three years has been mind blowing. So you're going on a journey, and the people around you uh, who want to support you, let them in, let them help you. Um, there's a long COVID community that's there to support you as well. Um, and in those times that you feel absolutely hopeless, be a bit gentle with yourself. No one comes bouncing out of a pandemic and a pandemic is a really bad time to be sick. So just think about what you've handled really well this far. And, you know, for me, just having that kind of day to day plan was super important how you get through one day to the next. Um, but having an eye to something long term to help bring you along the way is like important. Well, good luck. And yeah, let the people who want to help you let them in. Very wise words. Thank you so much. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure. Um, yeah, thank you for inviting me to do this. Thank you for listening to the Long COVID Hope podcast today. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed listening and got something out of it. Please note we are not medical professionals and this does not constitute medical advice. Always speak to your doctor or medical practitioner before starting any new treatment, supplements or beginning a new exercise routine. You can learn about me, Sarah, the long haul yogi, via my link tree, which is linktree.com forward slash long haul yogi. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at the same long haul yogi handle. I offer weekly yoga for long COVID sessions most Thursdays, which are online via Zoom and are completely open access and donation based. I also have an on-demand yoga series, which you can purchase and tune into at your own time. I'm on YouTube, I'm on Insight Timer, and I do some private classes as well. All of the Yoga for Long COVID series is incredibly gentle and focused on listening to your body and going at your own pace. Again, all of this good stuff can be found at linktree.com forward slash longhauljogi. If you'd like to make a donation in support of this podcast, you can find the link to buy me a chai on Linktree as well. Thank you in advance for any donations. They're gratefully received and really do help me to build on and improve this podcast. Lastly, I wanted to say to you, wherever you are in your long COVID or chronic health journey, know that things can improve. Keep the hope alive. Speak to you next time.